Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Sometimes people ask me where I find the people who come on the programme. Well, a lot of it is word of mouth, or in the case of today's programme, I was swimming in the sea and a small, rigid, inflatable boat went past and moored next to the beach. It was a boat belonging to marine ecologist Gary Stokes. He'd spent the day looking for fishing nets, which he was going to take out of the water the following day. In his boat, he had a Cathay pilot and one of Britain's preeminent contemporary artists, who also happens to be passionate about saving our oceans. Jessica Zub has an exhibition on in Hong Kong for another week until August the 15th at the 10 Chancery Lane Gallery. It's called This Moment. This moment where, as we hear from Jessica Zub today, with this pandemic, with what's happening to our planet, we're at a pivotal point. Jessica Zub has a background both in theatre design and art and first came to China in 1989. I came when I was a student. It was a very extraordinary time. I was writing a thesis about the relationship between Chinese politics and performing arts. So I was studying performing arts. And of course, I, I came in and hit into the run-up to June the 4th. And so it was a very extreme and extraordinary um, experience for me, one which actually changed the whole of my life. I found the most unbelievable kindness from strangers that I'd ever, ever encountered when I was in China. Just, you know, I've traveled a lot and I've never found such unbelievable openness. And, you know, I was just a young kid. I was really a nobody. And, you know, the Kunju Opera, all these extraordinary companies were opening their rehearsal rooms and their hearts and really embracing me as a, as a young, younger daughter. So there was so much love and, of course, so much trauma. And um, it was very frightening, um, but also incredibly inspiring. And so all of those experiences stayed with me for forever. So Kunti Opera, so were you, uh, what was your degree in the fact that you were a student there? Were you already studying art or theatre at that time? So I was studying theatre design. That was the, the big passion that I had. I, I was incredibly lucky when I was growing up. I worked backstage at the Royal Opera House and the Royal Ballet making the costumes. So I grew up in the wings and watching the rehearsals of all these amazing productions. So what were your parents up to? Oh, they, they, <laughs> they were elsewhere. I, I was working with an amazing cutter. She used to cut all the lead costumes. So I actually helped with Darcy Bustle's first Juliet costume and just had the most extraordinary apprenticeship I suppose within the theatre so it, it went so deep had such a love affair with that so then my degree was in theatre design. So go back a stage for, as a girl were you already interested in costume in art how did this come about? Yeah so so well this woman was um, a, a friend of my parents so that was just a very lucky break for me I was always absolutely fascinated in creating things painting sewing making things so I I really trained with her and, and learned how to make extraordinary costumes and and how she cut extraordinary costumes and working with designers and watching the you know the really top top experts at work it was, it was an extraordinary privilege and of course Darcy Bustle was principal 
ballet, what's her actual title, but principal ballet dancer of the Royal Ballet. Yeah, yes, and she was about 13 when she was Juliet, and I was about 13 as well. <laughs> and I was passing pins, and she was stood on her block looking unbelievably beautiful, and it was all real. I had such stars in my eyes. It was, it was a magical, magical time for me. So, uh, but another thread through my life, and I'm not sure where that came from, but it was always this absolute fascination with China and the art and the culture and the, the performance and and the um, spirituality and and the stories and the myths and so much called out to me so so when I was studying I it wasn't a part of my course I took a year out to follow my own heart and come to China and do a thesis about this subject so I was <laughs> sort of very young person wandering around Shanghai not hopeless at Mandarin I tried so hard but it was amazing because every time I went in the street somebody would pop up and say do you need a do you need a, an interpreter today I can come with you and help you and uh, just found just it was a very extraordinary time of just being this you know almost like this one blonde person in this sea you know really at that time Chinese people they they had hardly encountered anybody of my colouring. So I really stood out and um, people, yeah, there, were, there was incredible kindness and particularly from the students, I went and, and lived with the students and of course then, you know, it was, it was very upsetting. We were actually all in uh, trapped within the um, student uh, accommodation with burnt out buses and trucks and everything all around us. So um, it became very extreme and very difficult to leave all those people who'd been so beautifully kind to me. So there was always, there's always been an enormous pull uh, culturally, aesthetically, and, and uh, yeah, I have a huge connection really with, with China. So incredibly delighted to be back here and not, not quite. Not quite in mainland China, but, you know, I also spent time in Hong Kong. And to have this amazing opportunity, which I've been given by Katie Dutilli of 10 Chancery Lane Gallery, has been absolutely extraordinary for me. You know, I met Katie, I think, in about March. And she was so lovely and so enthusiastic. And she said, oh, yes, I'd love to do a show. I'd love to do let, 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 when, when can we do it? Can we do it now? <laughs> I was like, well, actually, we can't do it right now. I need to bring a few pieces from the UK. But anyway, we went ahead and we did it in June. But the other thing that was extraordinary about Katie is, like I said, the thing with this collection that I've made is it's called This Moment. And it is absolutely about this extraordinary time that we find ourselves in. You know, the pandemic has caused huge amounts of stress, anxiety, bereavement, awful things for people, and not undermining that at all, but it's also given other people the opportunity to really stop and reflect and think about how we move forward. The planet is in a very fragile state, so I created this collection called This Moment, which was really a call to people to see the beauty of nature but also really understand how fragile it is and how much we need to work together change our behaviors to protect this extraordinary beautiful magical world that we live in and share together so 
I came to Katie, you know, it's a rather unusual thing. Normally an artist would come to a dealer and they would be like, well, how are we going to sell the paintings? But I came saying, how can we give them away? <laughs> yes, so yes, yeah, no, that was interesting. Yeah. So this is at the Gallery 10 Chancery Lane. This is called the exhibition This Moment, which you can still see until August the 15th. So the, the, the idea, as you say, was this moment in time from a environmental perspective, from the, the pandemic happening now, this sense of chaos and crisis and uh, looking at us as individuals. And you really, yes, it was kind of interesting how you managed to bring through your methods lots of people to the gallery, but uh, perhaps for, for some gallery owners a little bit unconventional. I mean, definitely, Katie was beautifully unconventional. She's incredibly well connected. She's been running her gallery for about twenty years in, in Hong Kong. So she, so she really. So I made a huge wish. Actually, before I met Katie last October, I made a huge wish that I was so motivated to try and do something to help with the situation, but realised that I, as a, you know, on my own, I didn't have the connections and I didn't have the knowledge to know how to really help. So I made a huge wish really out into the planet to say, you know, I need help, I need guides, I need people who do know and understand about these areas. So we did a big event initially for World Oceans Day, which was on the 8th of June. And uh, amazingly, one of the collaborators was an incredible girl called Leia Doriel, who's head of Oceanic Global. Actually, she created Oceanic Global, which now partners with the UN. We just had this vision to protect the oceans in whatever way that she could, and she's doing it in a spectacular way. Uh, so we were partnering with her. So what kind of actions does she take? Leia has a global community. She has hubs around the world, and they do fundraising and awareness raising and just so much knowledge, particularly of... of um, of more ancient cultures and the wisdom that they have and the relationship that they have with the ocean. But her complete aim is to try and protect the biodiversity within the oceans and also, you know, the oceans need cleaning up. So she, she's a, she's a, an earth angel <laughs> in protection of the oceans and an extraordinarily powerful one. Another amazing person that uh, we connected with was Craig Leeson, who uh, made this extraordinary film, Plastic Ocean. No single-use plastic, yes. Um, actually, very important to really start thinking about, you know, know about the fishing industry. Watch something like Seaspiracy, for example, which will explain more about the, uh, sea, uh, the fishing industry and how most people don't realise how much damage the fishing industry does, and it's very shocking. I didn't know that. Um, another extraordinary collaborator who's a local hero here is Gary Stokes, of Oceans Asia and he he was in Seaspiracy is also in the recent film Finn by Eli Roth which again it's about the shark industry so we had this extraordinary connection with all these amazing people and uh, we were able to really raise awareness and through some of the paintings we're literally just completely gifted to these charities so uh, Chris Botsford very kindly bought uh, one of the paintings all of that money has gone to to Lair's Oceanic Global so a huge thank you to him Chris Botsford also happens to head up um, ADM Capital Foundation, which is a Hong Kong organization with a huge environmental remit impact. And uh, they were working with a Hong Kong company um, called The Collective, which is Andy Stokes and Anita Lam. And they have a company called The Collective, and they're doing, it's it's out in Hong Kong now, and it's street art. So if, we, if you see street art, which is looking like a, 
its animals go up close because there'll be a QR code and you can scan it on your phone and it, it animates it comes alive which is very beautiful and amazing but they're uh, much more important than that is that, um, that's a call to action to sign a petition to try and change the law um, because Hong Kong of course is a hub for the trafficking of endangered species and so through their break the chain petition you can you can help to to change that so we're working with them as well so along with that we also were connected with african parks they actually protect i think it's 19 parks in 12 countries across africa huge huge swathes of africa they go in because the, the governments they have these designated wildlife areas but they don't have the funds and the resources to protect them from poaching to take care of the creatures to take care of the boundaries so African Parks goes in working very closely with the governments and provides these amazing resources. So throughout your exhibition, which started in June, started in June, June. Just <laughs> and extraordinary <laughs> fundraising and awareness raising events. So how many? Yeah, so you five or six events by the time. Oh, so many! I think many more than that actually. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So this was your way, and we're going to talk about your art in a moment. Um, but this was your way of. As you say, last October 2020, so we've already nearly had a, a year of the pandemic at that point. And I agree with you. I think that it has made us, some of us, that, that people are, you know, not, not just through lockdown, but, but just through changed circumstances. A lot of people are assessing the, the, the world around them. So in terms of plastics, I, mean, I think we've gone in reverse. Uh, so October, you have this... Um, wish this big wish for the world and that's how you're doing it through mm -hmm. through your art mm -hmm. so this is the exhibition this moment which is on until the 15th of august at the gallery 10 chancery lane um, so that's just off old bailey street so in terms of the types of so you obviously all of these are to do with oceans to do with the environment around you the beauty of wildlife Yes, actually not, not all of them because as I was saying before, it's, it's, everything is connected up. So one of the amazing organizations that we connected with is Habitat for Humanity. It is a global organization that does the most extraordinary work of helping to rehouse people in need, but not in a way of, of just gifting them. What they do is they enable the people to create their own homes, which is so empowering. So they're not just giving them homes, they're giving them community, they're giving them a sense of purpose, of belonging, of pride back. So each time you had, within the, the the time that the exhibition has been running from June onwards, you've had various events that have taken place for these different mm -hmm. charities involved in, as you say, um, a variety of areas uh, to do with their all interconnected. Yeah. Um, so Habitat for Humanity, Plastic Ocean, Oceans Asia, African Parks, Break the Chain, Break the chain yeah. and Oceanic Global, looking at uh, your paintings themselves. Now, the style that you do you use is oil often knife so if you could talk to me first of all about how you create your paintings and some of those processes are years long yeah so it's actually quite integral to my belief system as well it, it, you know I, I feel that we 
we living in a throwaway world and my intention is to to ask people to really stop that the works aren't supposed to be instantaneously oh you get it you understand everything about it you know it's 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 asking you to to slow down and to take time and to really gaze into the work and then as you do that you see many many more things come out of it so uh, almost as if you're uh, you know looking at gazing at clouds and seeing different different your your mind wants to see different images so my paintings are on the one hand asking you to just take the time to look into them see what you see so it's not it's not like a quiz it's not like oh you're going to get the answer right you're going to get the answer wrong it's an offering to see how the viewer connects into those so they're very suggestive I would describe them as evocative. So they're built up using many, many layers of paint, which I, uh, the, the reason why you have to have the time is because it, I use oil paint. So if I were to use acrylic paint, then I wouldn't need so much time because I wouldn't need so much drying time. But because I use oils, because I absolutely love the color, I think because they're pure, uh, actually from nature as well, they're ground up precious stones and you know, they're not, chem they're not sort of chemically created. So usually I use oil paint. If I do use acrylic paint, it's because I want something fluorescent or something you can't do in oil. And obviously I've been using those a little bit here because Asia has a lot of that kind of energetic fluorescent light. So as I'm inspired by Asia, then I'm putting those kind of energies within the paintings. But the process is the same and it takes many years to build up the layers in order that I can push back through it so, so that you're sort of revealing paintings underneath so if you were to x-ray one of my paintings you'd probably see maybe 20 different paintings that are then excavated through so it's quite funny when I when my children growing up they were in my studio a lot with me and they would be like stop 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 you know this is done this is done I love this painting and then they get so upset because the next time they look it would be completely obliterated because for me it's not right it's not ready until I feel like it's ready and so people always say you know how do you know when it's done you know how do you how can you tell and it's like when it's not right something about the painting it will niggle it'll just niggle it'll just sort of jangle at my nerves so when that's going on it's awful because i know like the rest of the painting might be lovely i might be really excited about it i've worked hundreds of hours on it but if there's one little bit that's not right i have to be incredibly brave and you can't just go in and tweak that little corner because that just looks like you put a plaster over something. You actually have to, you you actually have to uh, incorporate that little bit into the whole of the painting, which means you have to do very brave, broad sweep layers on in order to bring everything together. So it's a very much of a roller coaster. You know, people sometimes say, "Oh, it must be so relaxing being being an artist." And I literally like it's like being on a roller coaster. You know, you have incredible highs, incredible excitement when you feel like something's working or you're just riding the crest of a wave thinking I'm really there I'm really there I'm really captured what I'm trying to capture and then you can push it too far the wave crashes over you it's all a disaster to come home crying my eyes out and you know in despair and my beautiful daughter say to me mommy you know it's always the ones you fight with that end up the best you just have to have the faith you have to keep keep going it, it will resolve itself so they're, they're each painting is very full of story emotions intention yeah so tell me about midnight garden well midnight garden is actually probably my 
my most favorite painting I've ever made so far. And actually, I was never going to sell it. I, I was, it was one of the paintings that I kind of archived. It was like, this one's for me. I, I lived with it. I, it took me a very long time to make, and I lived with it in my home. For me, that painting was about wishes. I, I, I'm very passionate about gardening, but I didn't have a garden. I had a tiny, tiny, tiny garden. And so for many years, I was just painting all my wishes of garden, painting, painting, dream garden, this garden, this one, just wishing these gardens. And so dream garden was part of that uh, process for me, I suppose. I didn't really know that's what I was doing at the time. It's like um, a moonlit garden and you can see uh, ponds and water and, and plants, but also it's like what might you find in a, in a magical moonlit garden? Well, fairy tale creatures and some faces and, and all of these other things emerge out of it. So as you look into it, you see more and more and more. And so it's a very alive piece. But when Katie offered me this extraordinary opportunity to show my work in Hong Kong, and it was you know, so meaningful to me to come back to Hong Kong to show my work, I wanted to bring my best piece with me. So that's why uh, Midnight Garden is here. And it's very, uh, yeah, I'd love people to go and see it. So, uh, yeah, if you have a chance, please go and see it. I'd love to hear what message me, tell the gallery, you know, if you like it. Um, another painting that's very, very um, close to my heart is uh, When the World Turns, because that is absolutely about this balancing point that I feel we're on at the moment. You know, it feels like we're delicately balanced and... If everybody decided to make more thoughtful, careful decisions about how they use up the resources of the planet. Tell me about the whales. The whales? <laughs> oh, it was so amazing. So I went to Sri Lanka. I really, really, really wanted to, to see blue whales once in my life. It was a huge dream. So we went to Sri Lanka actually on my honeymoon and uh, we traveled and it, it takes a long time to get down to the very southern point of Sri Lanka. Right down there is a place that you can go whale watching. But so blue whales like the huge, huge The whales. huge, huge blue whales. But of course, so you go on these little boats and, and then you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, you know, there's just hundreds of little tiny little fishing boats going out with all these tourists. And of course, they've got no way of finding whales. You know, you're <laughs> thinking... Oh, silly me, you know, these boats, they don't have any sonar, they don't have any, they don't have any way of finding a whale in an enormous Indian Ocean. You know, you're just out there for hours. I think we we're out there for about 12 hours and a tiny boat with huge waves. And I am not a sailor and I was so ill and I was literally just like, just feeling dreadful. And I just, sort of stood on the side of the boat and I made this huge, huge wish. I literally called to the whales. I said, I've come so far and I'll probably never get this opportunity ever again. Please, 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 can you please come and sh come and show yourself to me? And honestly, three huge blue whales emerged out of the ocean like islands. I mean, literally like islands with the water flowing off their backs. And the, and, the, and the captain of the ship, he was like, oh my goodness, there's actually whales. Oh my goodness. And it was so, it was one of those profound, life-changing experiences because from that moment, it was like they gifted to me and I was like, okay, I pledge myself. I want to do whatever I can to try and save the ocean. So it's the biggest animal on the planet? Yeah. Wow. You're like you're so, so, so much bigger than the ship we were on. <laughs> I mean, so much bigger than the ship we were on. 
When when I have looked at your paintings at Ten Chancery Lane, some are huge across across the wall, so they'll be one point five meters by one point five meters. Some are smaller. You've managed to. There's a mix here because uh, some have been achieved in the industrial space that you have in England, which is massive. Um, so you've got more space to, uh, you know, pour oils or or just have this expanse and muck about with. Uh, with paint, uh, whereas here in Hong Kong, your studio is a little bit more confined. Um, so kudos to you for managing that in that this kind of environment in, in Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realise quite that there's 20 paintings sometimes going back. That's that's incredible amount of work. But um, certainly that your work is the type that you can sit and look at for a long time, or you could revisit um, and say, oh gosh, yes. I'm seeing something completely different. Yes, I think that that's the that's the thing that's a, um, a little bit unique about what I do is um, actually people who own my, own my paintings for maybe 20 years, they they still get in touch and say, oh my goodness, the light caught it in a slightly different way or I moved house and I put the painting in a different way and I've seen something different in it. You know, so I think this is the thing of when a painting is taken maybe 10 years to make, <laughs> there is a lot in there and you can keep revisiting it and keep going back and seeing seeing different things and uh, you know depending on the light depending on your mood depending on how your eye focuses um, and depending what you what you bring as well your emotional state as well yeah. so um, well I think that emotional state does come out I mean I, I find your certain not all but certain of your paintings very moving that's thank you um, yeah it's, it's a very um, extraordinary experience that I often have uh, every now and again I'll open up my big studio in the UK and it's funny that you said the, the paintings one meter by one one were large because actually at home <laughs> they're very small I actually paint uh, you know something like three meters by 14 oh, wow. meter painting is the scale three meters by 14 yes <gasps> yes so every now and again I will open up my studio to people to just come and I always say you know you please just come you very much just to to look you know no pressure at all ever to to purchase them but just come and spend time and look and have people coming from when they can <laughs> pre-pandemic people used to come from all around the world and come and uh, if I had maybe three days of opening they come every day you know and come and sit and, and so many people would come and then really cry in a way that Music does that for me. Music will will release emotions for me in an incredibly pure way. But something in my paintings often finds that reaction in, in, in people that come to spend time with them and see them. And I think that's because they come from my heart. And I think people, I don't know exactly the mechanics of it, but I have witnessed uh, this ama amazing kind of release of emotion. And many people say, you know, they find the work very healing. And I think, uh, you know, that's another thing that I'm very interested in is placing the paintings within centres of healing because I think that's very, very important. We've been talking about how you studied theatre design. You, you talk, you know, at the age of 13 about um, being involved with Darcy Bustle and ballet and uh, when you say that you were a dancer first, was that actually a ballet dancer? Yes, I, I did uh, ballet contemporary. I actually trained at the Larvin Centre and at the place through my childhood, so it was many forms of dancing. I was in a Russian ballet company as well, for a Russian Russian dance company as well, for, for quite a long time. I was the youngest of the adult troupe, so... Uh, uh, which was another <laughs> amazing a Russian dance company in England. In England, yeah, yeah, run by an amazing guy called George Orloff with his stick, and it was it was glorious. I mean, 
you, you know, were doing ballet or were you doing that kind of Georgian Georgian a beautiful Georgian when you and you lead so I was so lucky I led the the snake of the women so as you you look like you're gliding on like as if you're on wheels you know because the dress comes to the front and the way that you move all you're moving is your hands and I went first to central uh, when I, I went to art school so I went to central and did my foundation there trying many different things but theatre was always uh, what central I, is uh, central is well, it's now called Central St. Martin's, but then it was Central School of Art, which is in the centre of, of London. And so that's where... So you so did you then move out of dancing into art, or how did it come yeah, about? Yeah, I did. I had to make a decision whether it was going to be following my desire to be a dancer or, or, or the art side of things. Theatre was a stronger, stronger pull for me. So, And actually, I was incredibly lucky, I think, because the theatre design training is a training and uh, so I think I actually had to do an awful lot more drawing than perhaps the fine art students did. So we had to learn what might be considered by the fine art is quite an old-fashioned skill which is how to look and how to draw. Uh, you know, so we did a lot of that. And uh, I used to say, you know, it was like having your eyes washed because you see so much more clearly when you really, really investigate and interrogate what you're looking at, which is a beautiful thing because, you know, you take that with you and everywhere, everywhere I look, I see beauty. You know, in a puddle, a bit of oil, a tatty old wall with a bit of peeling plaster on it or... You know, there is just extraordinary beauty absolutely everywhere if you look for it. My thanks to British contemporary artist Jessica Zub talking there about her thoughts on how we can save our oceans and support the organisations who do and her exhibition of paintings called This Moment on show at the Gallery 10 Chancery Lane just off Old Bailey Street and next to the former Victoria Prison in Central. It's on show until the 15th of August. You can also have a look at more of Jessica's work at her website, jessicazub.com. Thank you.